All right. Good morning, church. It is great to be with you guys this morning. I uh, hope you're doing well. I know we are uh, doing this service for all three sectors of our church. So I want to say a special hi to the uh, Desert Cities Church and say hello to Rancho Cucamonga. It's so uh, encouraging to be with Rancho for our midweeks and see uh, familiar faces and be able to connect to you guys. Uh, truly is a blessing to be able to worship together this morning. I'm going to send out my usual reminder. I do this every time uh, I record one of these videos here. I know as you're on Facebook or YouTube, uh, there's that video right here on the side that's really tempting to click on and uh, or that advertisement for whatever you just Googled yesterday or this morning. It's really tempting to look at that or look at your Instagram during church or or even respond to a text. Uh, but I would love to empower you uh, to take this time to really let it be about you and God's word. Of course, I'm here. I'm talking. I may talk a little too much sometimes, uh, but the scriptures are always good. And so if anything from this morning, I want you to be able to engage with God's word, not the Facebook ad, not the YouTube video, but with God's word. And uh, just know that disciples, Christ followers all around the Inland Empire are doing the same. Uh, so let's do this together. Let's engage together this morning. Uh, we've been doing a study on the book of Ephesians, which I will be continuing this morning. We heard from Sergio last Sunday. And I know for Rancho and Riverside, we're also talking uh, a little bit about each chapter in our midweek series. So today I want you to give me 10 verses. Uh, we're going to go through the first 10 verses of Ephesians 2. And for those of you in Riverside and Rancho, we're going to be kind of diving into the second part or a little bit more into Ephesians 2 on Wednesday. Uh, so you got to come and join us to uh, get the get the second part here. But today we're going to be looking at Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10. And the title of my sermon uh, this morning is Made Alive. And today I'm just going to go ahead and dive right into the scriptures. So pick up with me here in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. Let's stop right there. Wow, what, what a way to start off our Sunday morning. <laughs> uh, you know, as we look at Paul's writing here, uh, for, for those of us in, uh, you know, we, we just did a study series on the book of Colossians. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, it was very clear that Paul's intent uh, in writing the to the Colossian church was, hey, forget everything, focus on Jesus. You have all these outside influences, you have different belief systems, the political structure, cultural things. Keep your eyes fixated on Christ. That's all you need. And so Paul's message uh, to the Colossian church was very clear, very deliberate. Uh, Paul also has a clear message for the church in Ephesus, right? He has his meaning, his purpose in writing his letters. Now, I don't know about you, but that is not the most encouraging four verses to read, let alone start a sermon off with. I mean, Paul doesn't, doesn't hesitate at all. <laughs> He's a hundred percent real with the church. 
Um, and he tells the church, hey, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, right? Transgressions meaning your rebelliousness against God and, and your sins, your shortcomings uh, according to God's standard or failures according to God's standard. So you were dead in those things. You followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air, right? Satan, right? This pressing evil that's everywhere in this world. You gratified the cravings of the flesh. He basically said you had no self-control. And then he closes that little section of, of, I'll say, intenseness or bluntness with you were deserving rash. Now, depending on who you are, what kind of person you are, your emotional makeup, I'm sure uh, uh, we all have different responses or even reactions to a scripture like this. Like for some of you, you when you hear a scripture like this or you hear me cut off and end right at you deserve wrath, uh, you might be the type of person where that just floods you with guilt and maybe shame and um, and, and maybe that's just get a little tense with the idea of, man, I, I, I gratify the, the cravings of my flesh. I used to be, uh, just this person that, uh, this had no regard for God, followed the ways of this world. Man, I deserve wrath. Maybe that, that kind of brings you to just dwell in negativity, kind of stay in this pocket of how bad of a person I am. And maybe some of you, and when I read that scripture, I start the sermon off with it in your mind, you go, great. Another sermon about how jacked up we are as people. And if you're anything like me, uh, I, I hear or I read these words from Paul, and I and I kind of think to myself, why does Paul feel the need to put this stuff up all in people's faces? Like the, clearly, there's no holding back in the words he chose to use. Extremely blunt. Like this just seems intense and harsh and judgmental and. Isn't that why people have such a hard time with Christians in our day and age that they just feel like we're judgmental about everything and kind of pointing out who's saved and who's not? And, and this just seems really intense. Why, why, why did he say it like that? And uh, because to be honest, at first glance, if I just read those four verses uh, with no context or no regard or, or even intent to study deeper into what Paul's trying to say, I don't want to hear stuff like this. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to read scriptures like this in the Bible. And to be honest, this is not the stuff I want to dwell on on a Sunday morning where I got my coffee in my hand. I'm probably on my couch or my bed tuning into an online service and maybe you were tempted to click off and go watch something else. So maybe you're like me in that regard. I mean, Paul clearly is very deliberate in what he's saying and, and he doesn't hold back. Even in Ephesians 4, I know someone else will be preaching on Ephesians 4 later, so I'm sorry for stealing this. But in Ephesians 4, verse 17, he says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. You know, when I read that passage, I almost feel like Paul is is sort of describing the, the systematic way in which people develop as they go throughout life, right? They, they start with, or at some point develop this futile thinking, this pointless thinking. Maybe it's influenced by the kingdom ruler of the air that Paul mentioned earlier. But it was just this pointless thinking uh, that leads to becoming darkened. 
And whether he's referring to darkened of mind or darkened of soul, I'm not sure, or both. Um, but it leads to this sort of dark life and dark way of thinking, um, which ultimately leads to a separation from God. And he, and he describes it as living ignorantly, ignorantly of the truths of God, of the presence of God, of the reign of God, because of a hardened heart from sin. So clearly Paul is, is, is putting things right up in people's faces, uh, not holding back. And the question I'm brought back to is, what's Paul's purpose in saying these things? Is it to, to guilt people into changing? Have you ever felt guilted into changing or, or shamed into changing? Uh, why, why is Paul saying this? What is his purpose? And I want to talk about this today. I think a lot of us, if not all of us, either now at some point or consistently throughout our Christianity, we can view our Christianity as a, a sort of a sequence or a series of things that I have done in order to be where I'm at. For example, sometimes I think the way Christians can view their, their conversion or their salvation is, I had faith. I repented. I got baptized. I go to church. I get prayer or I prayed. I evangelized and therefore I got grace from God. And whether we realize it or not, our Christianity can, can easily become, yeah, God gave me grace, but I did X, Y, and Z, and there can be this underlying reliance on our own strength and our own power to get to where we feel like we need to be with God. But you know what? That's kind of an interesting system there because the Bible actually says some polarizing, just opposite things uh, about who we are outside of Christ, who we are without God's power. For example, according to the Bible, who we are when we're relying on our own power, when we're not with Christ. In Romans 6, 17, it talks about how we're a slave to sin. In John 3, verse 19 and 20, it talks about how we're lovers of darkness. Mark 2, verse 17 is kind of a blanket call that we're sick. Luke 15 is all about how we're lost without God's power. Ephesians 2, 12 and 2, 19 talks about how we're an alien, a stranger, a foreigner. Uh, Ephesians 2 verse 3, we just read it, a child of wrath. Colossians 1 verse 13, we're under the power of darkness. And 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3 through 4, we're blind. It's kind of trippy or, or kind of wild that we can somehow develop this idea that, man, I did this and I did that, therefore I got God's grace. But when I look at these scriptures, there's nothing, no power under us that we could have brought ourselves to salvation. Uh, so back to Paul's purpose on why he feels the need to ever so bluntly point out these things. Why does Paul feel the need to almost what it feels like hammer in the idea that, hey, you're jacked up and, and you deserve wrath and 
you're dead. I think it's it's kind of wild that when we see someone come to Christ, when we we have these baptisms, and we as a church we spend time encouraging that person, lifting up, and it's all in good faith. But it's sometimes funny to hear people say, uh, "Oh, you're just such an amazing person." You know, it's kind of like this vibe, like all you needed was Jesus in order for your life to be complete. And we kind of throw off this vibe that, oh, God is so lucky to have you now. <laughs> but when I read the script, and not that that's bad, we're encouraging people and amen, I, I love that stuff. But if we were to really share just blunt truth, like imagine Paul was at your baptism <laughs> and he stepped up and he said, yeah, you, you deserve wrath. And you better get in that water because you are a child of darkness outside of God's grace and how God's salvation. But that's what the scriptures say we're at outside of God. So again, why is Paul saying all this? Why is he putting it right in the face of the church in Ephesus? What it feels like almost throughout the entire book here. Let's keep reading in Ephesians 2 verse 6. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we look at Paul's points, right? We see that we're dead. We, we deserve wrath. We're futile in our thinking. Our hearts are hard. We live ignorant lives. But because of God's great love for us, he made us alive through Christ. The Bible says he bestowed the incomparable riches of his grace. Actually, in Ephesians 1, I believe it says he lavished it on us. Right? Lavish is abundantly poured it out. Right? Men, we are not just men, but people, we, we lavish barbecue sauce on ribs. You don't shy back. God lavished his grace on us through his son. You know, Paul doesn't list the things we read in verse one through four as a means to demean or discourage people, but actually it's an effort to glorify the power of God. In other words, I believe Paul is trying to commute, uh, communicate with us and, and even with the, the church in Ephesus that, hey, in order to save you, it took some serious, real, almighty power, right? The power that, that we were once relying on was leading us to death. It was a disaster. The, the, the power, our power, our strength, self-reliance was leading us to wrath. But God's power brought salvation through Christ. So in regards to, to Paul's passage here and, and kind of his little trickle theme throughout Ephesians and keep mentioning who we are without Christ and how messed up we are and what we deserve, I believe what he wanted the church to focus on and, and what I really want us to focus on this morning 
is that God's power made us alive. It is nothing you did. I'm going to say that one more time. God's power made us alive. It has nothing to do with what you did. I believe Paul is trying to highlight the power of God, right? How despite our failures, our transgressions, our rebelliousness, our disobedience, uh, our futile thinking, our hardened hearts, uh, despite all those things, God, out of love, pulled through and opened up the door straight to him. You know, if I've learned anything in my years of being a follower of Jesus, it's how easy I can become reliant on my strength and my power. I've totally told myself or, or wrote that narrative in my head that, yeah, I repented. I believed. I got baptized. I pray. I go to church. I teach people about Jesus. Therefore, that's why God gave me grace. Because I I did those things. And I feel like this leads me to the to the notion that I have to continue to do all these things so that I don't fall behind the grace of God. But guess what happens? I mess up all the time. And every time I mess up with this notion in my head that I have to do this to get the grace, I feel like I'm playing catch up with God's grace. And so I've got to try harder and harder. And when I have that way of thinking, when I view God in that regard and rely on my own power, it doesn't matter how hard I try, I never really feel saved or forgiven. And I feel like I drop back further and further because my whole idea, my almost my theology of how God works is the idea that I have to do this in order to get his grace kind of an interesting concept but think about this when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead it, it wasn't because Lazarus had decided in his dead state hey I want to raise from the dead and so Jesus did it for him that's not how it works right Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead it was this incredible miracle and it was amazing and I believe in the same way there's nothing you did or I did to come into a new life with Christ. God's power made you alive. You know, I do believe this is, uh, this is an important teaching to get in our relationship with God and our faith. And even as we deal and wrestle with our own salvation, we've got to learn and focus on being reliant on God's power. Our life can become so reliant on the ways uh, of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, as Paul mentions at the beginning of Ephesians 2. Um, and I was thinking, well, what does that mean? I looked, you know, I kind of read some commentaries and stuff. And you think about it, well, the air is everywhere. And so are the ways of the world. And so is Satan. And, and we're reliant on ourselves. I believe that leads us to live a life where we're ruled by the temptations that Satan puts all around us that the idea that satan man he's right there as you're on your computer tempted to look up pornography or the idea that satan is right there in, in the painful moments of your heart as you're dealing with your relationships 
and the church tempting you to give up because that person hurt you. Or Satan is right there when no one else is around tempting you to turn the other way and do things your way. And when we aren't reliant on, when we're reliant on our power and our doing, we fall to the tempter of all tempters. And, and even the most apparent spiritual person in the world that lives a life built on the faith, on the, on the idea that I repented, I got baptized, I do these things. So I, 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 even that person that appears credibly spiritual, but relying on I can fall to the temptations of Satan. And so here's, here's the question. Here's a question I really want us to focus on this morning. As we dwell on Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10, take some time to read it again if you need to. But here, here's the question I want us to think about for communion here this morning. Are you confident in your salvation because of the things you do? Or are you confident in your salvation because of the God that loves you? I think, I think Paul is trying to drill into the minds of the, of the people in the church in Ephesus that God's power is incredible. He loves you so much that he, he poured it out onto you through Christ. That, that yeah, you deserved wrath and death, but despite those things, God provided a door to him because he's that powerful. And I think Paul also wanted people to see that your power and your strength got you to earn those things, defined you, identified you as things we, we don't want to be identified as. But through Christ, through God, we're made alive. This morning as we take communion, and, and hopefully you are taking communion as the Bible calls us to, as Jesus calls his followers to, I want to encourage you to think about what you are confident in. Is it your power, your way of doing things, your strength, the, the I statements that whether you're aware of or not go through your head? Or are you confident of your salvation because of how much God loves you? And maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, hey, that's not what I'm confident. I'm not confident in how much God loves me. Now, if, if you're at a place where I'm just trying to figure out my relationship with God, this is, this is a good place to start. Learning about God's love for you is a great place to start. I want to encourage you, hey, go on our church website, maybe email one of us, get a hold of us, talk to the person that sent you this church link. But that is a great place to start because there's nothing better to put your confidence in than God's love for you. Maybe you're a follower of Christ for years upon years upon years and, and slowly but surely you find yourself slipping back into the idea of I have to do in order to get. What are you going to do right now to realign your focus on God's power? Realign your heart towards this idea that God is who makes us alive and it's nothing that we can do. What would your life look like? What would you change today if your focus was all about that. So this morning, as we reflect on Ephesians and we think about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, let's also reflect on how God is who made us alive through Christ. And because of that power, we are able to live lives that are to the full because he is who made us 
alive. Let's go ahead and say a word of prayer and we'll take some time here for communion. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much uh, for just the opportunity to preach your word. I'm in my house right now looking at a computer, but I know there are followers of men and women who just love you so much that are attentive to your scripture, that want to worship you and praise you and lift up your power in the same way Paul does in the scripture. God, it, it can be so easy to be relying on ourselves to make these I statements and I've done this and I've done that. And that's why I've got to keep doing this to stay in God's grace. But, but God, you love us. You've already poured out your, your love and your mercy through your son Christ. And now what all we have to do is, is focus on that. That all we've got to do is come to terms with the idea of you loved us so much. You poured out your grace onto us. God, I pray that that as Christians, as men and women who are watching this right now and reflecting on the scripture, I pray that you change their life in miraculous ways just on the notion that you are powerful and you've already done all these things for us. God, I can't wait to see what this will do in people's lives by just understanding that you've already done everything, that it's about your power. It's not about us earning things. Just like Paul said in the scriptures, not so we can boast. God, I pray that as we take communion, that as our congregation, the people visiting, maybe studying the Bible, maybe they randomly stumbled upon this church service on YouTube, God, that we can connect with your word, with your power, because it is what makes us alive. God, we love you. I lift up this service to you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Have a great Sunday.